This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. When someone mentions income taxes, do you get excited or are you filled with dread? Do you wait until the last possible moment to file your taxes? When you finally start the process, are you so on edge that if the slightest thing goes wrong, you want to throw your laptop across the room? And when it's over, are you 100% sure that you messed it up somehow? If this sounds like you, you should probably check out Simple Tax. Allison Souter is a former tax lawyer. She's a total tax nerd. One day she was doing her taxes online and started wondering, why is preparing my tax return so complicated? And why is tax software so slow and expensive? If a tax nerd like Allison thinks it's complicated, what hope is there for the rest of us? Luckily for us, Allison and her co-founders decided to build what they like to call the best tax software in Canada. Allison joined me from Vancouver to talk about how she went from tax lawyer to world traveler to wedding photographer and finally to simple tax. So I actually started my personal finance journey when I was really young. My grandparents used to give us some amount of money that I don't even remember now, maybe 20 bucks for okay. birthdays and Christmas gifts. And I remember my dad saying, you should open a bank account because you'll earn interest. And this was in the early 80s when interest was still fairly meaningful. You know, we were looking at like 15 to 18% interest rates on a savings account at Canada Trust. And how young, how so, young would you be at this point? Six, maybe? That's, that's, like, <laughs> you should like open a really, bank account, six-year-old. Really young. So <laughs> I remember walking into Canada Trust. Really? It wasn't truly Canada Trust yet. It was like Canada Trust yeah, back then. Yeah, it was then. still just Canada Trust. So wow. Yeah. So I walked into the uh, branch of Canada Trust with my dad, set up this bank account and got, do you remember those passbooks you used to have? I do. I, I feel so like I, we're similar in age, you and I. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I was born I'm in 80, 82. Okay. 80. 80 here. So. so yeah. So very, very similar. So you used to have the bank passbooks, right? Yep. Um, and so I, I deposited my money and I was like, this is kind of weird, dad. And then next month. <laughs> He took me to those machines that would, oh, no, I think you still did it at the teller at first. So you'd go to the teller, and they'd print out your updated you bank the balance. New, the new uh, sheet. or Yeah. And my bank account now had $21 in it. And oh. I was like. Wait, already? Mm. Wait, how was, right. Did you say one month? or how? how yeah. Because this was the 80s when interest was 80s. like. Right? Like, I don't so know we if still anyone had... knows that. that uh, interest actually meant something. Yeah. So there was like 15, maybe 17, 18. I don't know. I was six. I don't remember the percent, but you know, we're talking yeah, in the yeah. teens, it's, it's right? High there. Yeah. So it was such a great savings message when I was sure. really young because I was, I all of a sudden had more money from not doing anything. It's and a great so that's feeling, isn't set. it? It's, a, it's such a yeah. great feeling. Money from nothing. And it's, right. And you're like, what have I done here? Except for just kind of waited a little bit of time. And so, I think that really set the tone for me 
for the rest of my life. I kind of grew up in, <laughs> Wow. We didn't do, there wasn't like a lot of consumption in my family. We didn't get like tons and tons of presents. You know, we'd get like a, a big gift at Christmas and a big gift at our birthday, but like not stuff all uh, year pile, long. Piles of presents under the tree. and, and uh... Yeah. So I kind of, I grew up in a very moderate consumption home, I would say. So I, I, I would just sort of used to not buying lots of stuff and, and then kind of being six and realizing that my money could grow. I don't remember anything I, from when I was six. So uh, this is I, I really don't impressive. remember much. I, I don't remember much except for that, that bank balance. That? So, so yeah. Did, and so I've been interested in finance, like since I was a kid. Well, when did you start making money other than grandparent money? My dad was self-employed. And so I think when I was about 13 or 14, I would do some summer projects for his company okay. and make some sort of token hourly rate. They probably paid me minimum wage to do projects around the office. Sure. Where did the money go? Into my bank account. And, and, and then to grow. Yeah. Well, this is, this is years later. Uh, you know what? Actually, 90s. that's not true. I bought, yeah. And so it wasn't growing like quite as fast. I did buy like one fleecy pair of blue pants that cost a hundred dollars and this was in the 90s and that was yeah. like a really a lot of money your parents would uh, not spring for that but it's your money yeah. so you could do it with that money yeah and i i loved those pants like <laughs> they they were fleecy and blue and i wore them out in public all the time but like that was my big splurge so fleecy um, pants. yeah and i mostly i'm just kind of a saver by nature like i i haven't gone through lots of spending sprees except when I started to travel when I was a little bit older sure but you had the money at that point uh, I'm guessing right yeah so I I basically yeah my first job was kind of odd jobs for my dad's work then I worked at Tim Hortons for a year or two I think that's like a true Canadian if if you've worked at Tim Hortons oh yeah for sure and permanent residency for forever right yeah. And it was a really good introduction to like working pretty hard for minimum wage. And like, it's a slog, like it's really tough and you're working and you're working. And I was like, man, like this is tough. Like I want to do something that I can scale. I didn't know the word scale at, at that the point. Right. Time, but, but you were thinking something along there those was, lines. Yeah. There was some sort of vague <laughs> idea like, yeah, well it's, or it's way harder to do. Right. Like it's just, harder a lot of a lot of hard work and you're right there's no i mean you could move up in the management uh level uh yeah if you wanted but uh you were thinking at that time this probably isn't a a career for me yeah school was next and i did a finance degree you're probably not all that surprised to hear that (laughs) what uh like just a general finance or uh, yeah so i did a a bilingual bachelor of commerce with a major in finance. Nice, nice. And finance in this definition would be like uh, derivatives and stuff like that, no? That is exactly it. So it was yeah. much more technical finance. Like the, I think a traditional career path coming out of that would maybe be banking. Uh, or uh, uh, being on the brokerage uh, floor. That kind that's of, right. Uh, or in yeah, the, the back like office that. to start, I guess, doing research for, for, stuff, for traders. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or selling mutual funds if you want to go to <laughs> traditional personal finance. Uh, right, uh, absolutely. So kind of anything like that. And then I ended up after, I think it was my third year. It was either after my second year or my third year. I got a job for a small local finance company 
in Edmonton that sold investment, it kind of sold invest, it sold mortgages and then had in investors invest oh, in, the invest in the mortgages. Okay. And it was, they were higher risk mortgages. Sure. So you got higher rates of returns. And uh, so it was kind of these very like basic, basic securities, a very specialized business. And I ended up doing that at that company. It was a very small company, so I could kind of do a bunch of different projects there. And one of the things I liked most that summer was working on, it was a small business. There's a tax deduction called the capital gains deduction for small businesses. Basically, if you earn, at that time, it was up to $750,000 on gains on the share of your qualified small business corporation shares. Those would be tax-free. I was working on a tax project and I was like, this is really interesting. I actually like this more than anything I've done in school, than anything else I've done at this company. Like this is really interesting. It's funny how um, we're, we're I, drawn to certain things that are stereotypically not interesting at all. Right. Um, like that description probably did not sell the interesting factor of um, <laughs> tax. And and then I was reading a lot of legislation and I was like, I think this is actually law. Like, I think what this is, is the law. You know, I'm in my early twenties at this point. I don't know what, know what's business or what's law or whatever. So um, I figured out that that was a, a legal problem, not a business problem. And I thought, you know, I should probably go to law school. I got to go to law school to learn about tax law. No, and you know what? It wasn't even to learn about tax law specifically at that to, time. It to was help, uh... to, to learn about the law because I was like, this is more interesting doing mm. this problem, like the problem solving, like the, the process that was involved in working on this problem was um, more interesting to me than, than anything I had done. And so I didn't even intend on ending up in tax when I went to okay. law school. So I can't say it's a huge surprise that I did end up here. Because you were drawn to the tax part of it. I was young too, and I, I didn't know I was ready to to be an adult yet. So sure. it was maybe like, "Ooh, this problem is interesting. I think this is a legal problem. I should go to law school <laughs> yeah. and defer growing up for a little while." Okay, so that that was the. You must also enjoy school. I'm I'm guessing. I do enjoy school. Yeah, yeah. it's it's that's one of the main things. You have to like school to want to go do post grad stuff, because right. there's a lot of people who would be like. Yeah, maybe I should, but I can't possibly sit in a classroom or do tests or exams like ever. Right. Again. And and law school is like really school. Like yeah. it is very <laughs> traditional school. It's not you know, like it's like writing and exams and the Socratic method with teachers asking you questions in these long classes. Like it's it's school. Yeah. So I did that and I actually ended up doing my summer articles in a tax law firm by coincidence. Like okay, I didn't, so you didn't even choose it. Wow. I didn't seek them out. My uh, professor who I was fairly close with, her husband was a partner at a tax law firm. And she said, you know, I think you'd get along with my husband and I think you'd like this kind of work. And I was like, well, uh, isn't that interesting, Sharon? Cause this is actually why I came to law school in the first place. <laughs> it so, seems like it's, it was like uh, meant to be. Yeah, it was a bit serendipitous, I think. So I ended up doing my summer articles in a tax firm in Vancouver and then taking a year off after I graduated. I actually took a year off to travel. That finance company that I had worked for before going to law school, 
I had rebuilt a system for them using Microsoft Access. They used to manage a bunch of documents and spreadsheets, and I thought that wasn't very efficient. You got database skills too. Yeah, so I had some database skills, and so I had ended up earning a fairly substantial bonus from that company Hmm. between doing my undergrad and going to law school while I was working at the finance company. So I had a little bit of money that I had still saved even like through all of law school. So I was able to spend a year traveling without incurring too much debt. And how did you uh, pay for school? Undergrad was uh, scholarships and RESPs. And then I still had some RESPs left. I I just, your parents started early with the RESPs. Yeah. Like I'm, very, very lucky to come from a saving family, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. I, you hear like about RESPs now, like people are putting stuff in, but you didn't. I don't remember a lot of it from the eighties. Yeah, I think it was pretty. It was pretty unusual back then. That's great. Um, so I had tuition assistance from either scholarships or my parents. Yeah. Throughout, so it, it changes everything. Like, I mean, if you can graduate from law school, like if you could graduate from a professional designation without debt, like that just, well, that's the it dream. changes everything. And so I'm really lucky to have been in that position. You, it, gave, totally. it gave you freedom, right? It, yeah. Like it gave me, and it gave me like time to go travel and then the ability, also the ability to start saving, right? When I started working. Right like, away. The money is yours. It's Right. It's, so this is so foreign to most people that you didn't have the grind. I got to start doing this now because of the interest that's accruing on all this stuff. Right. Like it's, it's just this totally different scenario. So I appreciate that that's a bit unusual and it's not that helpful. Like, Hey, I was in this lucky situation, but I was in that lucky situation. So I no, was able to. What it says is that, is that this is possible, right? People think that these right. kinds of things don't exist and that's why we need to hear about it. Hey, parents start the RESPs now. <laughs> Yeah, and do it. And and I mean, like, unsurprisingly, we've got them for our kids because it changes. I think it can it can really change your kid's life. Yeah. Well, it's just not, it's a nice thing because you're not handing them money to pay for school. It's it's been building. It's their money. You you yeah. gave it to them yeah, absolutely. as they went along. It's like getting a, a birthday gift, but putting it away. And RESPs too. Like right now, the the bonuses you get from the government are crazy. Like the government gives you, if you're able to max out your RESPs, you get like 500 free dollars from the government every year into mm-hmm. your kid's RESP as well, so which is. What is that? The Canada Education Savings Grant? Yeah, it is. And then also if you are lower income, there's an additional one, which I think it's related. It's got another name, um, but they'll give you even more money into your kid's RESP. So if like somehow you can get money into those, it's like, it's such a great thing to do for your kids if you if you can do it. Just do it, right? What, mm-hmm. You know, whatever the minimum you need to get that 500 bonus even. Yeah. So you did your travel. Where'd you go uh, after law school? Around the world. Uh, you did a around the world trip? Yep. So um, nice. we first drove across the country in a rental car, which was kind of fun. I've never done that before. Yeah. So we drove from Vancouver to Ottawa. And then we set off on our trip. We started in the Middle East and went to um, Dubai and then to Jordan. And then we flew to Turkey and went to Greece and up along, um, like through Albania, which was pretty unusual at that time. It was really, really interesting. And it was, it was beautiful. And there was like no tourists. So that was really oh, yeah, neat. Yeah. And then we went to Africa and we did overland through South Africa, all the way up through Southern and Eastern Africa. Nice. Um, we were just in Kenya last November. Yeah, I loved Kenya. So Kenya was the last stop we did. So we started okay. in South Africa and then we did 
South Africa, like a self-drive tour ourselves, including a self-drive safari. Nice. Which was you, an, you can do in South Africa. Yeah. So, and, and it was like, you could do it on such a budget. Like safaris are so expensive and we were able to do it for like a 10th or maybe a 15th the cost. It was a really, and fun too, like a fun way to do this self-drive safari. And you felt safe because we picked Kenya because it was the cheapest of the safari options for us. But there were situations where if we were by ourselves, we wouldn't have survived. Yeah, you know, we... <laughs> You're resourceful? I, I think we were maybe maybe young also. Okay, yeah. Young yeah. and things feel a little less scary when you're young because I, I think looking back there's a lot of situations we probably shouldn't have okay. made it through yeah yeah <laughs> like it's I think it's a common thing to do in South Africa the self-drive safari it is, eh? like okay. it's it's set up for it and there's there's camps like you can't just camp anywhere you've got to sure, go into sure. the camps at the end of the day gate you in and they're pretty strict I think if they catch you wandering around a lion they're like out <laughs> out doesn't matter that you've paid the entry fee like you're out you're done then we were, went through Namibia and yeah. Botswana and into Zimbabwe to Victoria Falls. Nice. Um, and that was the time of like crazy inflation in Zimbabwe. So there was these like $100,000 bills floating around on the street because they were worthless. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, it was just kind of interesting because they like literally were like one zero zero comma zero 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 bills floating around. So that was really, that was really fun. And then we, so we did a, a short, one of those overland tours for that part from South Africa up through Zimbabwe. And then after that, we did the rest of Africa on our own again. And that was a bus adventure through okay. Zambia. And that was a bus adventure through Zambia. Like That's it was an adventure. You covered a lot of countries and, and uh, we're not even at Kenya yet. Yeah. And we like, we, had, we were moving a lot. Like it was really about the adventure sure. and, and the, the journey. Like I think that was a lot more like I've, I've kind of evolved into preferring a slower form of travel and getting a house and staying somewhere for a month if I can. Sure. Um, but at that time it was like, all right, we've been here for a day. Like, let's go see somewhere new. So we were just moving constantly for basically a year. So yeah, up through like so this, Eastern. A whole year. This is, this is how long this trip was for you. Yeah. It was a one whole oh. year. Oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah. It was really really cool sorry ECS up through East Africa and uh, after Zambia were Tanzania yeah, and then briefly we didn't have a lot of stops and then we went through Kenya to Uganda spent quite a bit of time in Uganda and then came back to Kenya on our way out of Africa and so we went to Japan for a month and then we were in Australia for about a month New Zealand for about a month oh, wow. um South America uh we did Machu Picchu in Peru and a few other stops in Peru mm -hmm. and like it's it's just so neat like it's so interesting and then we went through Bolivia and did the salt flats like I don't know if anybody's seen pictures of the salt flats but that's really really cool it was pretty it was pretty crazy we got to see so much but also realize like just how big the world is and just how yeah even though we were moving so fast and like making so many stops we saw so little and I think that really sparked a passion for both my husband and I and, and, and a real priority in our life to figure out how we can travel and work as well at yeah, the same time. It's the dream, right? Uh, that everybody totally. has, but then everyone's like, well, I got to get a job and I only get two or three or four weeks vacation if I'm lucky. Did that set the mood of what you wanted to do when you got back? Yeah, well, so what, what happens is you need to article once you finish law school. Yeah. So I had deferred my articles for this year so that we could take off the year. Okay. I figured it would be easier to start working 
and not leave after I articled. You know what I mean? Like it would be easier yeah, to yeah, take of this the time off before. Of job or, or yeah. Yeah. And then I was really, really lucky that I was able to have a job when I got back because I was gone between 2008 and 2009. And that was when there was a huge crash. Yeah. Um, so the fact that my firm was even able to hire me in 2009, like I was really lucky. That's lucky. And I, I don't actually know how that worked out. I think maybe they just needed a junior. There wasn't a lot of juniors in my firm and, and they just maybe needed another body to do some of the more simple tasks. Yeah. Um, because I, I really shouldn't have been able to start articling in 2009. Like that was a tough, a tough year. Um, well, and you're lucky and so you, that I, your money was, because uh, I'm, I'm sure you were getting to into the yeah, savings we were, at this point. And... Yeah, we were, it, it was pretty much depleted at that point. So yeah. I had been counting on having this job. Sure, okay. And, and luckily, like luckily I, I did have the job. And I realized really quickly, probably the stark contrast of having been traveling and then going and working in an office every day, I was like, oh man, I don't know that this is my story. Like, I'm not sure that yeah. this is what I want to be doing my whole life. Like I'm, I'm basically living the dream. I'm articling at a boutique tax firm and this, like I, we had moved to Toronto by this point in this like fancy office in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really that happy. Like a crap. What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. You, it just took you a year. Well, it took a couple of years okay. after about a year. I started doing dabbling. I would say at that time in photography um, we had done a lot of photography on our trip around the world. We, yeah. had, we had kind of splurged on a camera before we left. And uh, so I had learned the basics of photography while we were traveling. And so then I, I kind of started dabbling in wedding photography because that was when, that was at the very beginning of when like everybody and their dog was becoming a photographer. And okay. I was like, this is a way to live my dream. Like I can have this business and it's like so glamorous i'll be doing weddings all the time and before and that so started, you didn't you weren't like a photographer before like when you were in school or not at all no i was i'd always had a camera like that was one of the first sure. things i bought that was one of the first splurges i i had ever bought when i was a, a teenager i'd bought myself a camera but never an slr like that was new for our yeah around yeah. the world we, we had and that so, for our honeymoon too it was definitely new and and you know, there's a big difference when you understand how to frame photos and all those other totally, things. Totally, right? right? Like you're, you're sure. learning about exposure and you're learning about yeah. composition and and even like exposure. There's perfect exposure, but then sometimes stylistically, you don't want your exposure to be perfect, right? So I kind of learned about that while we were traveling and then and then started shooting for free when we got back. Okay, so you are doing photography on the side. Still doing articling, but not really feeling it. Yeah. And like I, and I, it was a really weird time because I had this great job and my principal. So that's the senior lawyer who you work for when you're an articling student. He was this really prestigious tax lawyer who was wonderful. And we have even still all these years later, a wonderful relationship, like such a great rapport. And he was so great to learn from. So everything on paper looked like it was it was perfect. I know um, the feeling. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't mean that you you can't explore what you really want, though. Yeah, but you know, you have this like sense of of unease of like this just doesn't feel like what I want to do, and it's probably that millennial feeling that everybody always talks about, right? Like I, I kind of attribute it to being 
an early millennial and, and just thinking like, I'm, I'm going to craft myself the life that I want. Well, you should. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the cusp with you of the millennial world. But I, right. th- I think everybody should, uh, don't, you don't just stick with something because you have a law degree and, and, right. and because that's the thing that you chose once in your right. life. Absolutely. You're allowed to change. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is all in the past. Absolutely. And I think what, what was helpful for me, and I, this statistic could be totally incorrect, but I have this vague recollection of my dad is an industrial psychologist. So that means he's like a psychologist for the workplace, basically. Yeah, wow. And I remember him telling me something when I was pretty young. And I, I think he told me like at that time, people changed careers on average of seven times. And that might mean like changing your role within your workplace. Like it didn't necessarily mean these huge shifts that we're talking about, but that's always really stuck with me. So whenever I've wanted to make a change, I'm like, oh yeah, man, like I'm not anywhere close to seven yet. Did you know that it's 15 now? That doesn't surprise me at all. I was at a presentation where where a guy put the number up and asked people to guess what it was. And he said, this is the amount of times you, if you're starting now, are going to change. That's so interesting. And you know what? Because I I remember thinking like, man, seven seems really high back then. <laughs> yeah, does, now people right? change their jobs way more frequently. Because it was one. So. At one point, it was one, and that's it. Right. And then you die, right? right? Or retire, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you retire if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. Back then, maybe not, oh, yeah, maybe right? earlier, yeah, you do work. Till you longer die. now, too. So, um, okay, you had this uh, seven, yeah, that's good, because you're like, wow, this is my first one, sort of, you know, out of school, right? Yeah, so that was my first, like, really big career career shift, or thinking, you know, like, it's okay if I'm not happy, like, maybe I haven't found the career that I, I'm going to want to stick with yet. You still got time. Yeah, I've got time. I guess that was number two, because the finance, kind of the abandoned quickly abandoned finance career was number one. Well, you could count Tim Hortons as, as number one. Oh yeah, but, that's true. <laughs> but I'm counting. I don't even want to start counting. I'm counting. Yeah. I think you count after, after your like school, after right. school is done, then you can start counting. Cause before that, it's just, you are still trying to figure it out maybe. But the, the point is we never stop trying to figure it out. And so you decided to do photography. Yeah. So I decided um, after about a year of kind of, doing this for free, which is not something I would recommend to anybody, like never do anything for free, but there I was, you know, a little (laughs) bit younger, um, young and green and thinking this was a great way to get started. You can start if you have a couple of gigs, you got to get somebody to give you a review to start. Totally. So giving a little bit away for free, it's fine, but not, not for a long time, hopefully. Not for doing it for too long. I think I did it for too long. And then I ended up, you know, I ended up with this kind of clientele that it wasn't my ideal clientele like it wasn't the people who were paying for weddings it was the people who were free and so but somehow I I worked my way through second shooting gigs where I would work at an you know a pretty low hourly rate for being able to use a handful of my images um, getting getting some more of the the weddings that I wanted to shoot with the clients who would pay and then after a few years of practicing law I had enough of a wedding business built up that I thought, you know, I could, I could leave and sort of eat ramen for a couple of years and try to really make this photography thing work. Like that was, you know, I had enough money that I could pay my rent and I like enough money coming in that I could kind of pay for the basics. But no money for savings. Was that a hard decision? Um, and a little bit of savings actually. A so tiny bit. yeah. And so it, we had, we had, my husband and I both had pretty 
good jobs when we were working in Toronto. And I think we both felt this, this growing sense of unease about like both of our careers. So we'd both kind of saving as much as we could. We didn't live the like high flying Toronto lifestyle, even though we had these fancy jobs, we were very, very frugal. So we had a bit of a runway. I remember thinking like, if we don't have any income come in, we can last for six or seven months or something. But you know what the difference was too? I had, I had some weddings lined up already like that I hadn't accounted for in my savings so I was like you know this business is already working so like this is the savings runway this isn't the savings plus earnings so um left my job to become a wedding photographer not not the typical story Um, no especially like I mean leaving a job to become a photographer fine leaving a job as a tax lawyer or a you know a lawyer uh, in this case you were working totally right at this point I was, yeah. 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 So I was an international corporate tax lawyer (laughs) uh, turned wedding photographer. And so how long did you stay just as a photographer? Not very long and and not intentionally either. So Simple Tax happened out of frustration. So I left my job in December 2011. Okay. And then when we were filing our returns in probably March or April of 2012. Hoping for that big refund (laughs) because... Right, because we'd like to use that. We'd like to add that money to our runway, right? That's right, exactly. Um, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Man, like tax software is really shitty. Like yeah. it's just not very good. It's confusing and cumbersome and slow and expensive, and it makes it seem like tax returns are hard. Which, like, personal tax returns for the vast majority of the population really aren't that hard. Pretty like, straightforward." It's, and I mean, even if you're a sole proprietor, like your bookkeeping is the hard part. Your tax return is not hard. That's right. Like, just, you just plug it into the T2125 and you're, you're good, right? Right. And you like move along your merry way. So we, were, we, we got to thinking like, this is way too hard. And my husband was a product manager in his former career. Um, I was a former tax lawyer and barely even former at this point. We're talking like four or five months. And a friend of ours was a video game developer who had just left his job wanting to get into um, web software. Okay. Um, and, and so the three of us all kind of looked at each other and, and, and John and Justin were like, you know, definitely we're going to need to do this full time. But like, you know, this is tax software. We'll probably need a half-time tax person. And I agreed to this. I was like, oh yeah, half-time for tax software. That makes sense. So I initially joined on kind of like part-time so I could still do wedding photography, which I was really digging. Like it was really, really fun. So you were like um, a, a, but then a it turns- founder, but mostly consultant about the tax aspects of it. Yeah. So for the first couple of months, um, I was totally like working half the time with those guys. And then I'd work with them, like near them while I was editing and processing. They could um, ask you questions and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And we re- we realized so probably six months in that like when you write tax software, you can't have a half time. <laughs> you actually need to have. It's um, really complicated stuff. Like it's, a, it's filing the return is simple, but the calculations that go into it are not. Absolutely. And so uh, we were able to kind of restructure our business so that I was an equal partner. And we we're like, you know, probably time in from the beginning is so we were able to kind of restructure so that we were all um, equal owners, equal co-founders. Okay. And it was we, we financed our business with twelve hundred dollars. Um, that was our, <laughs> our capital that went into simple tax. It was four hundred dollars each. It was initially a thousand dollars. But then when we had to restructure everything, it became twelve hundred. Was, was that um, so just that, for incorporation? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but that was also all of the money. 
that like, we uh, put into the company. Well, to, I guess at this point, you're it's just human capital that you're dealing with mostly, right? That's right. And for software, the the and we all had computers, so we were all using our own computers and our already. own editor, right. Like so, it was really just you know we'd need to spend fifty bucks on this filing or a hundred bucks on that, but like it was twelve hundred dollars was how much we started the company with, and um, yeah, and and so then it became full-time very quickly I was like this is a an awful lot of work and we got certified so the CRA certification process is an annual thing you have to go through to ensure your calculations are accurate no matter how long you've been doing this no matter how long you've been doing it yeah the first one is is crazy like it's like how insane. You, it seems hard to get in right because at this point uh, what year is this your first time trying to get certified we were getting certified um, throughout like the 2012 calendar year for the 2012 tax year. Okay. So it took the whole time. Then they would certify you by what, January of the next year? So, yeah. So the certification process runs from about November is when it starts. Yeah. Um, and then they try to certify people for when tax season opens, which used to be in early February. Now it's in late February, but they would close the CRA certification process at the end of March. So basically, if you hadn't passed by the end of March, you were out for the year. Mm. And we actually ended up getting certified on March 5th of 2013. <laughs> wow. Which was actually quite early for a new player. Like we had missed sure. a month of tax season, but like the fact that we did it in our first year, the CRA was actually pretty astounded. They said we were one of the first companies to ever have done it on our first try. And what and what was your secret? Because okay, so uh, how many players? Hours and hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work, like how, nonstop work. And but how do you know? Like how were you? You just did a lot of testing to make sure that it was perfect, like that you were covering all the bases. How does the CRA know that you're good? To yeah. Go? So there's test. So there's two sort of things that happen when you're getting certified. There's a round of of test cases to make sure that you, every other product and the CRA all have the same results. So it's actually kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. Okay, like every yeah. year we find problems in theirs and they find problems in ours. And kind of by the end of that first phase, everyone's confident that everyone's calculating correctly. And then the second phase is they take your software and they run it through 2,600 individual tests. Okay. And you get a maximum of five versions and if you don't pass like a hundred percent of the tests by version five you're out so, so um, what was your process we did it in three in our first three. year wow yeah. so you, was, they would come back after the first and second test and say tweak this or tweak that or did you have to figure it out yourself they would say these are the ones you failed and okay. so then you'd have to figure out why you failed so it was, it, it's not a bad process it was usually they say you failed and if you didn't understand, you could call in and talk to a human and the human would say, this is why you failed. Can yeah, you give so us an example in... of, 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 is there one that's like easy to talk about that you, that you failed and you fixed? Like something that you just missed the first time around? I can't remember any of the ones that we would have failed. Oh, actually, yeah, there was a really good example from the following year. They changed a bunch of rules for seniors who are still working, but are also collecting CPP. Yeah, yeah. And one rule would be, let's say you filed a form to not pay into the CPP, but then you wanted to revoke it. If you, if the software allowed a revocation that was before the election, you would fail. Yeah. So we failed that. Okay. Um, and and, and this, then we, this is a perfect example of how complicated the whole thing is. Right. That's like, just and, one and so, tiny bit. 
right? Like, and it doesn't, and, I, and honestly, like, I think if you're using our app on the front end, it feels extremely simple. Oh, yeah. It's you all have no idea what's happening. But it's just, be, the app, your software has to know uh, who right. I am, what I'm doing, all this stuff, and work with, I mean, I don't know how many permutations of Canadian uh, taxpayers there are, but there's a lot, right? Or do, do you know? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. Millions and millions and millions. Yeah, I feel like yeah. almost everyone could be. In everyone could be totally system. different. Well, well done. Thanks. So it was it was really, really exciting to be out there. And and then our second problem, I, I guess the first one wasn't a problem. It was just tough to get certified. But the second thing uh, became a marketing problem. We're mm. like, we've spent all of this time and like the opportunity cost of the three of us working on this for almost an entire year, like nonstop at this point was really high. And like, how are people even going to find out about us? And then even if they know, like, why are they going to switch? Like, why would they trust their tax return to some software company they've never heard of before? Netfile certification is not like a golden ticket. Like, it, it doesn't, like, bring you a certain amount of people? It is, and it does. The CRA has a, a certified software page that people go to, and it gets randomly sorted. So every once in a while, you'll end up on the top of that list. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. But it was kind of like, if that was our only source... Of users and not every Canadian goes to the Netflix no. groups, right? So that wasn't like, doing the trick for you. That, that, page either. that wasn't um, giving you the amount of business right off the bat that you needed. Right. And we uh so we were like, how are people gonna find out about us? And then randomly, um, Rob Carrick heard about our product. I'm not sure how. He's a, a financial journalist for the Globe and Mail. Yep. I'm not sure how he heard about us. Um, but we got a call from him one day. And he was asking about our product and he's like, you know, that sounds really interesting, but like, like it's a bit of a snooze guys, like a, a better UI and a better UX and it's simple and it's beautiful and it's fast. Like, okay, call me back if you have something interesting to say. <laughs> and, and we were like, huh, what if we make this free was that what we first thought. And then we're like, we can't do that. We need to eat. What if we yeah. make this pay what you want, including zero. So okay. we called back Rob Carrick and we're like, this is how we're going to monetize our product. We're not going to charge unless people decide they want to pay. And he was like, well, that's interesting. And then wrote about us in the newspaper almost the very next day. So we couldn't, uh, we couldn't backtrack from that decision very easily. Well, why, why would you even have that idea? Was there another example of other software as a service products like that, that would be you know free if you, if you're a lower income or can't afford it? So a lot of the a lot of our competitors have free offerings below a certain income threshold. Yeah, okay. So they would be, let's say, your family income is below twenty thousand dollars. It's free. Otherwise, you're paying forty five ninety nine. Like that's not really. If your family income is under twenty thousand dollars, you should probably be paying zero. Yeah. Or if your family income is under thirty thousand dollars, which is below the cutoff, you should still probably be paying zero. And so we thought that this would give you a chance to. To decide, you know, could you afford to throw us a few bucks? Could you afford to throw us a whole bunch of bucks if you were in that position and you found that we made your life easier, a little bit more pleasant? We find our software, I like to say it's a little bit irreverent, like it's a little bit funny as you're going through if you're reading yeah, slowly. I, I'd give it a little uh, try. I mean, I signed up. I, I'm going yeah. to do a parallel. I Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Er, last year, I got an email and I already paid for your competitor. <laughs> Um, no worries. But that's because I've been with them for years. But I'm right. going to do a parallel because just as you said, I don't. if I don't want to pay for it, I won't, 
right? Right. I don't have to. So it's not like I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to spend another 15 bucks just to try this. That's a really great way for people to say, uh, is this just uh, the same or better? Or do I like it better? Is it more fun? Is it more? I like the dialogue boxes is what I was going to say. Like, uh, hey, you know, the next page is loading. You know, you're awesome or whatever you put. Yeah. Right? Or like trying <laughs> to make it like a little bit, a little yeah, bit friendly. I like that. Um, and personal touches. We've got some personal touches. I like to think throughout. Some sections are a little more personal than other, but um, it's it's fun. And um, and what was really cool is once we were published in the newspaper, I think it gave us a little bit of street cred, so people became less nervous about using this. Somehow, the the newspaper was more beneficial to us than the CRA website for just people trusting it a little bit more. We could then put it on our website that we were featured in the Globe and Mail, and then. A local interest tech writer here in Vancouver wrote about us. So we got a ton of local users. And then we just tried to seed it through our friends and family. And um, people used our product. Like people came and people actually were paying, which is really unbelievable. Like not a huge percentage, but. You give them options, right? Yeah. And we were giving like a a range of options. that you can choose. You can also choose any amount. There's a box at the end that let's say you're like, I really like this, but I literally have $2. I can give you two bucks. You can give us two bucks. Um, I think that one of our processors has a minimum of $2. So I think you can't give us $1, but you can give us two if you've got it. So I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a sec and say, well, isn't there value uh, for going to like a person, a tax preparer person to go and sit and through your taxes and do it? I think for the vast majority of Canadians, the answer is no. Like they're not really adding any value because uh, for most Canadians, it's so simple in terms of it's like so, you have a T4. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, and this is something um, we, th- we think a lot about tax, like your tax return isn't tax planning. It's not setting you up to remember to save all your receipts all year long. Like if you don't save your bus pass receipts, you can't claim the credit. That's so, true, isn't it? It's really, so it's, it's a result. Yeah. It's about learning in advance. And and so interestingly, we've, we haven't had an interview. We sort of targeted um, our software to paper switchers initially, paper yeah. switcher, um, or people who just wanted to do it super, super fast. And uh, in 2017, like on version five, we actually added in, an interview. So for people who really like to go through 100 questions and take off every box just to make sure they're not doing any, they're not missing anything. Oh yeah, yeah, like the bus. We pass, have that bus pass this year or whatever. I want to make sure yeah. I check that off, or or yeah, yeah. or maybe I am from Northern Ontario. I, I don't yeah. remember. So, I should check that. Yeah, in all our prior versions, we had like a checklist version of it, but this is the first year we've added questions, which okay. I think some people have been looking for, like it's feedback we've got every year for the last five years. And, and so I'm really excited to see how that impacts people who are more nervous. I felt like we lost some of the more nervous people in prior years because they were worried they were missing something. Sure. And now we've got a way to a really good way to answer that question. And there's no charge to use that. Like you get our full software and it's the same payment model, no matter what way you use our software, you can have the most complicated tax return in the whole country. Yeah. You can pay zero if you decided that you didn't really like it and it wasn't worth it to you. Well, and, and the, the net file certification tells everybody that the, any Canadian can use this. That's right. If yeah, you're, we if have, you're an individual. If you're an individual. That's right. Yeah. There's a handful of limitations. Um, pre-bankruptcy, we can't support. That's an e-file. So you have to go to a tax preparer for I, a pre-bankruptcy. Okay, okay. And 
emigration. So if you move away from the country in the year, we can't support that. And these are very small percentages of people. And and really, anyone who, if you, I mean, I'm going to say, if you have any kind of a odd situation, definitely consult. I mean, would you even say these people should be consulting with tax lawyers? Uh, yeah, or or an accountant. Yeah, or, um, a, a certified accountant. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. I'm I'm a little bit down on tax preparers, but I really, really believe that some people need accountants, like or tax experts, like someone who is taken more than maybe just the one-off course to do tax returns. People who are, are tax experts are definitely pre-bankruptcy. Emigration, like emigration is really complicated. It, it, um, and it probably depends on where you're moving to as well? It, it matters less from a Canadian tax perspective, but okay. you've got all the immigration stuff on that side. But um, you have a deemed disposition of all of your assets at the time you leave the country. Even if you're not, even if you're leaving assets? Or it, it, does emigration specifically mean you're getting rid of everything? No, it, it, it deems you to have disposed of them. So let's say you have investments. Yep. Um, even if you don't move those accounts, even if you leave those accounts you in have Canada. You pay the tax. Yeah, you of pay course. the tax at okay. that time. That, wow. It's like so, di- dying. Or... Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit. That's how, from, that's how the CRA and the Department of Finance treat it. They treat from the it, government's they treat perspective, it you you're, you're dead to them. You're yeah, you, they want their money and they want it now. So, so those two wow. are actually complicated. Course, so I kind of yeah. agree with with them being e-file, which is tax preparer specific. And of course, if you, I mean, uh, corporate taxes and all that kind of stuff, anything that's, that requires yeah. a different kind of tax return, that's a completely that's different right. thing. Uh, there's but, other services for small that. small businesses, but like small businesses yeah. can use our product. Absolutely. Like rental income, Airbnb income, like any kind of gig economy income. Yeah, any sole um, proprietor like, or partnership stuff. Yeah. That's and like we were saying before, if you're, if you're doing your bookkeeping, like your taxes are a breeze. It's the bookkeeping that's more complicated. In my view, it's it's keeping up with your records throughout the year, right? That's right. You don't need a, a tax helper for that. You need a, a bookkeeper and perhaps an accountant to uh, right. to ask the harder questions. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, that's, and that's a completely different thing. And then so because once you get to you guys, everybody should have everything in order, right? Yeah, absolutely. And And then another thing that's happened that's made preparing tax returns way easier than it has ever been before is two years ago, the CRA introduced a service called autofill my return. Yes. I love it. So it's so cool. Like you're, you basically hook into my account. So if you don't have CRA, my account, I highly recommend it. Like it's a really cool service. Yeah. I'm going to second um, that. The, the fact that, you know, cause I always thought that they, they obviously have my T4s cause they, they have to file people file them with the government. Yeah. Why wasn't it connected? Like you have this net file thing, but, and you, I know that they know my T4 stuff. Right. They knew it. Yeah. And they do. And they, and they, and they now will send them Finally. to software. I love it. I think it's so cool. It's for us. There were two boxes on the T4 where we used to have a ton of transcription errors. People would just type in the wrong value. I think they'd breeze over them or, sure. or something would happen. They're weird and those, boxes. There's things that I don't even understand on that sheet. Yeah. And, and like transcription errors have dipped so low. Like it's, it's a really a great service. It saves you time. Yeah, really it's the great exact moves. values that the CRA has on file. All the boxes are getting filled out the way that they think they are. Um, there's a few things like certain boxes. We need a bit more information from you, um, but you can fill out a lot of your tax return using data directly from the CRA. And like a lot of people in Canada don't claim very many deductions. So they're literally like loading up the app, typing in their number, logging into my account and 
clicking submit and and you're done really and 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 i mean i know for a fact that even though the majority of canadians are simple uh, in terms of their taxes still uh, so many of them are still terrified yes terrified people are so afraid of making a mistake and that's what I, I really, that's like my pie in the sky thing that I wish I could change somehow is this fear that people have because the first time you do your tax return, and we have a lot of first time tax return doers mm. of varied ages, like yeah. 18 years old to like 75 years old or, you know, they, doing they, they their just had someone return. else do it for them up till now. Yeah. yeah. And they'll, and they'll come Hopefully. in and they'll do it for the first time. And it's so, it's empowering. Like you can, look at the forms. And if you're interested in math, you can kind of see where your money's going. And, and it's just, it gives you the opportunity to take charge. It's kind of like what you're doing too. It's giving you the, the chance to take charge of your, your personal finances a bit. And it, it makes you feel more confident in your, in your whole self, I think. Well, you're not sitting there worrying. Like you're not sitting there for months saying, oh, I got enough to do my taxes. I'm going to do my taxes. You know, same right. thing like, oh, I should, you know, I, I know that I should have some insurance or uh, max out my TFSA or RSP uh, limits. I know that I should be doing this stuff, but I, I just don't know how to pull the trigger, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really, I think it makes a difference. And we get emails every year from people who, who say like, man, I just, I sat, my friend told me to do it and I sat down and did it and I didn't think I was going to be able to finish, but here I am like an hour later and this is their first time ever doing their tax return, right? And they're and they're done. They're done. And it almost seems too easy, right? It's like right? I must have missed yeah. something. I must yeah. have been doing it wrong. I must have done it wrong. Because now that the T4 gets imported, it's, some people actually have to do nothing. And a lot of people surprisingly <laughs> have to do nothing. Like type your name in and your social insurance number. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So um it's it's really neat and it it's fun and it's empowering and um well, that's awesome. And, and uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, you're going to get NetFile certification again, as you have for every year, right? Since Yeah, and, and, and maybe we're maybe really close, and I just missed that phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, then everyone will forgive you uh, for all the buzzes uh, then because Hopefully. of that. Um, so, ca. That's right. So, simpletax.ca, you just, what, you just register real easy, and then... Start yeah, and you can in. actually, you know what, you can use our app um, and get almost all the way through if you just want to take it for a test spin without signing up for an account. You can put every, you can dump all your numbers in. Without, oh yeah, I think I noticed that. I didn't have to actually register. I mean, I did because yes. I knew I was going to use it, but so yeah, if you just want to give can, it a test drive. Totally. And you can take yourself all the way through as well. Like you can, if, if you don't ever want to sign up for an account, you can submit your return, save your PDF and call it a day and, and not have an account either. We don't highly recommend that. Um, it's easier if you ever want to kind of look at something in the future, if you've had an account, because if, if you do that, we don't ever save any of your data anywhere. Like it's all on your client and you've got your PDF and that's it. A little bit better to save your data. Then you can have some consistency year over year. Yeah. Uh, we can do a lot of your carry forwards for you, which is really helpful. Um, that's one of the things. That's one of the things that I, with the you know one of your competitors that I have is that I have my you know little what are the little things like the capital uh, little capital gains uh, uh, things that just add up over year over right. year 
right? It's like, oh, that stuff's already there. I don't have to figure it out. But but the good thing let is let me tell you something, Bo. Guess what? <laughs> what? That comes in that comes in through autofill. Oh, it, everything comes in through autofill now. Oh, that's awesome. Because yes. I was yes. just gonna so, I was just gonna make sure that it uh, I copied things over. But you're saying anything the CRA has, it's gonna come in through yes, autofill. So, yeah, oh. and you'll get and you'll get the list when you run autofill. Sure. But the only thing that matters to some people that isn't set up yet, and I give it a year or two, is allowable business investment losses. But that's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, otherwise, like I feel every like other. I have like four dollars in there or something. Is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Because <laughs> I just I'm what I'm like. What is this? Why is there even a balance? <laughs> right. A it was ABIL, probably on right? a. Yeah, like a, it was probably on a tax slip somewhere, like a T five yeah. or something somewhere at some time. I'm like, who's um, a, who's able and why do, why do I like, owe the money? Right? Why there? Yeah, and that's so that's the only thing that they're not sending through yet. Um, but every one of those other tables in CRA my account that has a carry forward table, that's those great. all come through. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, like, I mean, this isn't an ad for the CRA, but go open the my account. You can, you know, I've gone in and and uh, i revised past year taxes like from like 5 years ago or something like that yeah, and i got more money cuz i forgot yeah. something or whatever but you can see them all online i think it, it's like a the cra built it and i don't know maybe half people have it i don't even know if half the people are using not it not half the people no, and, not and more like i don't remember what the ratio is but it's it's not it's high low. enough like it's a, it's just a way to access the data that the government has on file for you it's so good. Like it's, it's a really good resource to and have. For changing addresses and doing stuff like that. That's important. You, you don't want to be like, oh, I don't have this thing, so I can't do my taxes. These are other things that are stopping us, right? The right. things that are, are, are enhancing the fear is I don't know how to get my, I don't have my notice of assessment. Well, you don't need yeah. it if you have your login to your My Account. You That's don't right. ne yeah. ever need to find those things because they don't, they're online. Everything's online. Yeah. I, so I'm really glad that you built this, and uh, obviously the the pay what you want option is great, for, especially for low income people. But if you're making a decent amount of money, at least you're gonna go in there and uh, pay for the software, right? You guys gotta eat. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> and it's um it's interesting. Like, and and people do pay, and we we are so grateful all the time, and like it it means we're doing something right. And because we have this payment model, I think it keeps us a little bit more accountable to like continuing to build something. Yeah. People are going to want to pay us for because that's where all of our money comes from. We don't get any other, we don't have any other sources of revenue. And if people have feedback, as you said, you get a lot of feedback. How do they give you that feedback from within the program or email? Or? Yeah. So we do all of our support uh, through email, which sounds like horrible, but response times are within a couple of hours, usually during the day during tax season. It's super, super quick to get a response. Um, and that's where we'd like feedback as well. So you can email us at hello at simpletax.ca. We get feedback on Facebook. We're really active in the Reddit Personal Finance Canada subreddit. And people send us feedback through there. We get feedback on our Facebook wall, on Twitter. Like we'll, we'll listen wherever you're talking to us. We're going to listen. Like we actually listen to what our users are saying. Uh, how, and how many people are working uh, for Simple Tax now? We are now seven. Seven. That's awesome. So three, yeah. the three founders. Right. Yeah, three founders. And then we have our next person we hired was somebody to help with customer support. Um, so we have a customer support person who he's wonderful. His name is Clint. You'll see him the first time you come to our app. Okay. Um, like he's just fantastic. And then we hired about two years ago, almost just under two years ago, we hired an additional tax resource so that we could support Quebec. So oh. that's Carolyn. She does like all of our Quebec work. 
we hired Alex, he's another developer. And then just last month we hired Fumi, who is a designer because we've actually like got to the point where we can't manage all of our own design anymore. So nice. it's really cool. It's like really neat. We have this business now. And you know, design is important. User experience is kind of your the main thing. That's our right? thing. That's your thing. That's our thing. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome that you're investing more into that. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This was good. Thanks I so think, much for having me. I don't know that people know that there's awesome options for, for net filing and, and doing your taxes online. And, and, and fun. And fun, yeah. <laughs> now, we're both tax nerds, yeah. so taxes are always going to be fun to us. But let's just say not terrible. <laughs> for those who are like, taxes can never be fun. You're obviously lying to me. Uh, absolutely but no it's a it's a pleasant experience you might still feel terrified as you're going through it but it's going to take you a couple of seconds uh if you have a simple return and and hopefully it'll take away that fear a little bit by bit i hope so and and i think it will like i think i think that we get people there that file opens up on the 26th of february i'm gonna probably put this out the middle of february so that everybody can get the word and make their make their choices about when when net file certification opens. Fantastic. And oh, and you know what? Actually, yeah. autofill opens on February twelfth, so autofill will be like ready to go before net file opens. Great. So everybody can just kind of get started and get it all done, and then they'll just when net file certification happens, they just press a button. Yeah, yeah. Unless you have T threes, those usually come late. But oh that's yeah. Okay. So you got to you know we're all stuck. We got to still wait for all the banks and all the investment companies. And, and your employer to send you all the stuff, right? So, That's uh, right. you know, don't rush into it until you're sure you have all your documents. The CRA doesn't have everything in That's auto, right. autofill, right? Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Allison. No worries. Thanks again for having me. I just checked the CRA website and SimpleTax is now certified for your 2017 taxes. So you can go get started, but remember the net file doesn't open until February 26th. And although you have the option to pay zero, please consider paying something. Next week on the Personal Finance Show, I will be talking with Jane Rooney, who is Canada's financial literacy leader within the federal government's Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. She was appointed to that position in April 2014 to strengthen the financial literacy of Canadians. If you enjoy listening to the Personal Finance Show, please show your support by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. No time for a review? Just leave me a star rating. It takes only two seconds on iTunes. Investwisely.ca is where you can find all the show notes and links and, of course, all of my blog posts. I'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to send me an email at bow at investwisely.ca. 